Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. <laughs> we have the Mouse and Weens podcast. Mouse and Weens. I'm a big sister in San Diego with kids, and I'm married. And I have uh, no friends. No, I'm just kidding. No, I do. I have friends. I just don't have any boyfriends or love. <laughs> anyway, Mouse and Weens podcast. You usually listen to it. Yeah, it's, it's not really depressing. Fun. We talk about family stories, life, and love, and kids, and all the things you're interested in. We promise. Yay! Celebrities in Hollywood, too. Poke your little turtle head out and come listen to us. <laughs> Mouse and Weens. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. If you must blink, do it now. I like that. Hello and welcome to the picture show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I'm the dad. I'm Austin Rude. I'm the son. Every week we watch a movie and then we get on mic and we talk about it. Yes, we do. That is the premise. How have you been? I'm good. good. All right. You? Short and sweet. All right. Now on to me. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, I, I, um, I've not been up to a whole lot consuming wise this week. This has been mostly, uh, a little bit of, uh, watching Sweet Tooth. Um, and then I've just been, uh, wrapping up a couple of commissions, trying to get artwork for the show done. And, uh, just general, general work stuff. Kind of wrapping up projects? Uh, trying to. Um, I did record with Hammond Chamberlain yesterday, as we're recording this. I did the annual artist roundtable. Um, I had Carolyn Fortuna, uh, Audie Norman, and J.F. Dubow, uh, on the roundtable how was um, that? It was great. It was really a great group of really awesome artists. And um, one of those things that made me realize, like, oh, I don't, like, sit around and talk about art a whole lot. So, you know, now when I get the opportunity to do something like that, it really, like, I really, really appreciate doing it. And it, it, it makes me realize, like, oh, I need to you know, get back in a community of artists where we're talking about this kind of stuff more. Uh, but it was really, everybody had some really great pieces. Um, I'm pretty proud of what I turned in this year. Um, and uh, it just in general, it was a really good conversation to have. That'll be out the end of July on the Beyond the Playlist, just to give it a quick plug. Um, Beyond be the Playlist with Jay Hammond C. It'll be this year's Artist Roundtable. And I think it's the last week of July he said it's coming out. So um, that's, that's cool to have like a community of artists or friends that like whatever you're into, like to have yeah. 
people to talk about that with. I think the creative community, you know, we see it a lot just in podcasting. Podcasting is very active. Uh, but I really have not, I've, it really kind of made me realize, like I've kind of pulled back and dropped off the grid in a lot of ways in the last six months to a year and just haven't interacted with people in those communities as much. And I, I really need to get back to, to doing it because it is really rewarding when, um, you know how big creative communities can be like super toxic too. Right. But when you've gone through all of that and you've kind of whittled it down to your core group within that community. The small, like, positive... It is like you have to uh, uh, try and maintain that, I think, a little bit. And it takes some effort that a lot of us, honestly, have been really busy and really distracted and it's kind of fallen away. But I think we started to realize, yeah, I need to get back to that. So, that's anyway... That's been my week. That's been my last few days anyway. How about you? Uh, not too much going on. I I did have Pride Weekend. Um, me and my friends went to St. Pete, uh, which is like an hour away from Tampa in Florida. Uh, and there was like this... It was kind of a laid-back picnic. They couldn't have a parade uh okay so it was just like this park that had been rented out with booths and stuff and oh okay yeah it's like a convention kind of uh, <laughs> yeah outside gay con that's right yeah you dress up as your favorite gay characters <laughs> that's, um no that's really cool yeah uh it's it's just a positive place to be so i sure. i really have fun at pride i i try to go every year but i don't always uh well did it even happen last year i i don't think With, so uh yeah cause it was like, july that was like the heat the, of the, the pandemic yeah, in, in um in florida where we are like i think things were especially pretty bad at, at that point yeah we're um, we're lucky it's coming back this year like that things have gotten good enough to yeah yeah, yeah. um uh vaccinations are our, our cases our new cases are down Mm -hmm. um by and and don't take this in any way of us saying the pandemic is over i mean check local listings we're you know we're lucky that we've been able to be vaccinated and uh there's kind of a handle gotten on it but worldwide like there's there's a long way to go right and there were there was mask wearing there were precautions sure uh but yeah, I I just I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, it kind of meant that I had a low media week. Uh, yeah, tragic, I know. Um, but I did finish Doctor Who. Uh, me and my boyfriend. <laughs> a low media week. I watched fifty years of Doctor Who. <laughs> I I didn't finish finish it. I finished a season of it. Uh, because me and my boyfriend were were slowly making our way through, and. Uh, we just wrapped up series nine, which for those who don't know, it's a very experimental season. Uh, so I kind of wanted to talk about it because, uh, Doctor Who, like it's sci-fi and they're always trying to do new things. Right. So like within each season, there are like episodes where they're like pushing the limits. But, uh, for series nine, the whole, the whole season was like that, like, uh, the structure of it itself, it was 
two-part episodes. So each episode was just half of a story. Uh, and that allowed them to do more things. And then there was like a... There was an episode with... Uh, what is it? Like first-person perspective. Oh, okay. And kind of found footage. Uh, all these weird things. And people kind of hated it, but it's it's very close to my heart. I love it. So... Oh, we've talked about uh, things like that before, where I will say... Um... I kind of respect a a movie, a bad movie that's trying. You know what I mean? Like maybe it doesn't execute well, but it's it's taking some chances and it's it's really trying to be something special as opposed to a movie that just plays it safe and goes by the formula. You know what I mean? Right. So it's easy to hate on something like um well, we just talked about this on Hit Me One More Time a couple weeks ago where we did Batman forever and we said in a lot of ways like that's the worst of the 90s batman movies because it's just the most by the numbers boring it's not doing anything but you take something like batman and robin which is an objectively like bad movie but that movie is crazy and it's trying (laughs) to do a bunch of different things it's not doing them well but it's at least taking some chance and that's what makes it a weird kind of fun bad movie you know what i mean i i hear what you're saying i'm not saying this is bad i'm just saying like it's easy to hate on something that's weird but really you should be respecting something that's weird and and courageous enough to be taking chances on on experimenting for sure there's a there's an episode of doctor who where the moon is an egg and they they find out the moon is an egg and then it's like this abortion metaphor of do we risk killing everyone on earth by letting it hatch or do we kill it and it brings the gravity of the shell back together and then we have a moon uh it's really weird and people hate it but i think it's an amazing episode That's like the greatest thing ever uh but i think the main problem with series 9 that people have is like there's there's roughly like 12 episodes a season mm-hmm. so when you have one story over two episodes and that's the whole season it's like six episodes six stories right and then if you don't like one you're stuck in it for right an hour and 20 minutes or something so yeah i get that i mean that's the that's the risk of long form versus like short stuff you know what i mean like right i've heard comedians talk about that who are like storytelling comedians and they're like if something's not working you're stuck in this five to ten minute story with an audience that's not laughing but if you're just like a joke comedian you tell a joke it doesn't work you just move on to the next joke yeah you just switch material but like when you're when you're stuck when you've committed to a story and that's the same thing if you're committed to uh, a two-part story and you're even as a viewer you're just like oh man this kind of sucks. Yeah, but I but I find I think uh, like that kind of pushing the envelope is what makes sci-fi sci-fi. So I I applaud yeah. it even when it doesn't always turn out perfect. Who's the doctor in series nine? Uh, that's Peter Capaldi. Okay. Nobody My, liked him. Th- anyway. The legend. Yeah. I he's the best one. I'm just saying, like in but general, yeah, like everyone was like, he's too old. Yeah, nobody liked anything that guy. I, did. The viewing figures were not great. But yeah, well, it happens. Yeah. 
Cool. Well, this week we did not watch Doctor Who. Speak for yourself. Uh, for the show. I, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, we watched the uh, 2016 animated adventure film Kubo and the Two Strings, wherein a young boy must locate his late father's magical suit of armor in order to defeat a vengeful spirit. This movie star is Charlize Theron, Art Parkinson, Matthew McConaughey, Rafe Fiennes, Rooney Mara, and George Takei. Oh my. <laughs> As the one actual Japanese <laughs> cast member. Um, this movie was directed by Travis Knight and was written by Mark Haynes and Chris Butler. Quite the cast. Yes, it actually is a, a pretty impressive cast for this uh, Leica, Leica film. This mm -hmm. kind of small animation studio. Matthew McConaughey. When I saw that in the credits, I was like, I had to reevaluate. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. That's who I've been listening to for the whole movie? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but he's really funny in this. He's really, I think he's really good. I think that character actually, not deep, but just surprisingly entertaining the whole way through. He is, yeah. I, I think everyone in this movie kind of embodies their character really well. Uh, I agree. This was your first viewing of this, right? It was. Uh, I have seen it once before. I remembered really liking it, and I remembered the broad strokes of it, but not the details of it. So I was really glad to go back and watch this again. Uh, I really enjoyed it even more this time around. Uh, how about you? What? What's your takeaway from this movie? First impression. Uh, well, I'm definitely going to have to watch it a lot more. Uh, <laughs> th th that's my takeaway. You mean like to get something out of it or you just enjoyed this and you want to watch it more? I think to get the full scope of it. Sure. Uh, but I really enjoyed it and I I know there's more there. Uh, I th I just think this is a very like big story like there's a lot crammed into here there's a lot of ideas there's a lot of like small details in the animation that like i definitely missed something this time around i i think that's super fair i was looking at the runtime of this and it's one hour and 41 minutes and it seems like a longer movie because there's just so much packed into this yeah it's it is a big story there's a journey that happened you know what i mean like anytime characters go on like a long journey and that stretches over like half of the movie it makes the movie seem like oh this is this is really long this is really yeah but out. by the end you're asking can i go home yet it's <laughs> it, it it does kind of uh make you feel like you've been traveling with them a little bit um, yeah although I noticed this movie doesn't show a lot of actual traveling. Like, it spends, like, three seconds, and then it's like, all right, we're immediately to the next scene, because we we got to keep the ball rolling. They're on the boat for quite a while. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I noticed, like, after they found uh, Beetle, right. like, almost instantly they were off to find the sword. Yeah. No, that's, that's pretty fair. Um... But I think you still feel how far they're traveling be just because the scenery is changing all the time. They're in the snow. They're in the mountains. They're in, you know, like a forest. They're on the shore of the long lake or whatever, you know, and it's just 
it's a constantly shifting set, so it does still feel like they're moving. It it does, and they're going forward. Yeah, but for all that, it doesn't like you're saying like it switches a lot, and that is true. But do you feel like this movie feels rushed? I, on a like okay, so structurally, I feel like the movie works really well, but like. I feel like the scenes are just a little rushed. Like, like a few of them just needed some more time to breathe, but that would have dragged down the pace of the overall movie. So I understand why decisions were made. Yeah, I think, um, I think there were enough scenes that did stop and breathe that, that helped. I do agree. They're, they're quick scenes, but there's a, a few in there where, like they're having their meal together. Mm-hmm. And I feel like even just like them eating sushi on the boat, which was a quick scene, but I feel like it was, that was the family dinner. No, that scene. was a really good scene. And, and and there was enough impact in that. And I, th- I think I would argue like that scene um, is really passive emotionally. It's just like, it's a family dinner. But you don't necessarily realize it's the the actual family yet, but, right? Um, but that is a more emotional moment than the the heavyweight emotional moments of like finding out that uh, that Beetle is his father. You know what I mean? Like that's a emotional moment, but I feel like there is more impact in like the family dinner scene or uh, Monkey describing. Um, the love story, her telling the story, yeah, with the with the origami. I feel like those scenes that stopped to breathe and have a quiet family moment were the most impactful uh, emotional beats of the movie. You, you're right about that. I think mm-hmm. what I meant, like, I'm not talking about that. Is what I'm. I'm more uh, like the action scenes weren't like, like. I think what really stands out to me is the first one with uh, where they're trying to get the sword. The big skeleton? Yeah, yeah. like, he never felt like a threat, because we never even, like, focused on him. Right. Like, 90% of that scene is focusing on the characters, which is how it should be. I don't know. They're, they're just needed more, like, establishing shots. There's, it's um, just small details. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. The skeleton, I think that's a great scene because it's always moving and the characters are always working towards their goal. And that, that makes it an effective scene. But the skeleton itself, it's like, it's a giant, scary-looking skeleton, but he's never eating them he's never crushing them like you're like is a skeleton a threat it's it's <laughs> he just there. wants to pick them up and hold them it's, it is like that it's almost like the skeleton is there and the only thing it's really doing is keeping them from getting the sword it's just playing defense it's not even like trying to hurt them it, it seems like right it it, um, it makes the offense of the other team look a little less engaging well it just like whatever they were doing had so little effect on it that um i i think that's where it just comes out feeling a little toothless but i liked it as a comedy scene i liked you know like matthew mcconaughey the beetle is like i got a bone to pick with you and then he's like 
Because he's made out of butt. Like, Get just, it? There's like these weird little comedy moments in there where I feel like it's an action scene, but they're also like having fun with it. It's almost like a video game scene where where a uh, antagonist in a video game isn't there to kill you. It's just there to stop you from hitting your goal. Yeah, it's just this giant obstacle in the right, way. Right, yes. Um, a, a chore. <laughs> but uh, an action scene that did work for me is uh, the monkey versus the one sister. The fight on the boat. Yes. Um, I Well, the family <laughs> drama in general, like, there's... It's they great. establish, like, the stakes there. There's, like, a reason to care. I... There's a lot going for it there. Yeah. What did you think of the the witches, the sisters that are... Or Kubo's aunts, I guess. Right. <laughs> uh, I I thought they were really cool, like, design-wise. Uh, with, like... Like they were members of Anonymous? Sure. I, I didn't even... <laughs> they had the V for Vendetta costumes on. <laughs> I The funny thing is, I didn't notice that that was a mask, and I kind of wish it wasn't. Like, I just saw, right. like, unmoving... Uh, mouths the, and then the they're talking face, like yeah. kind of like i thought they were talking like in someone's head yeah uh and then like it breaks the jaw of one of the sister's masks right and you see her talking which in itself is kind of cool but but uh, before did you catch the the end of the fight on the boat um monkey goes to take a with the sword uh, and she goes, uh, you made me stronger. And she swings the sword. And then it cuts to Beetle swimming up with Kubo. And as he's swimming up, the mask is in two pieces uh, sinking. Oh, I didn't and he see that. he swims past that. The, the, the brilliant part of that boat scene, if I can go back to that for a minute. Go for it. Is the way it cuts between the underwater stuff where Kubo's underwater uh, looking for the... The breastplate, the the armor, and this the fight on the boat, and every time it reaches like a big climax on the boat, it cuts to the other one, and it really keeps the suspense alive. It, I feel like it shouldn't work, but it really does because there's suspense happening in both places, and it gets you to the the fever pitch of each of them, and that's when it cuts back to the you, other one. You keep wanting to be like, no, go back to that scene, right, and then. And then by the time it goes back to that, you're like, no, stay with this one. That's 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 it. It's, it's put together in such a great way that you say, no, stay with Kubo. But you're immediately engaged by what's going on in the boat. Because neither one of them is stopping building the suspense. Right. And it, I think it's a really brilliantly put together sequence. It's a great fight scene. I mean, on, honest to God, it's it's really really good, and it's beautiful. Like it's, I yes. I love the concept of the boat disintegrating as Kubo as, is like hypnotized. Right. Like it just it really worked, yeah. and like it's slowly falling it apart. It fall was so apart. nice, and then uh, and then Beetle <laughs> Beetle is like Dory in this movie. Oh my he's, god, he's dumb. He forgets things. Uh, I got the fish. <laughs> he comes up. He's been fishing the whole time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's all of those things that that make that work for me. Um, on top of the fact that I love the sisters. I love the the ants as evil witches. I think they're creepy as shit. 
They were. Um, they are are kind of terrifying. And just the the way that they make them move, like when when Kubo first sees them, and they just come floating across the water with their toe almost touching the water, and just sort of levitating towards him. It's just it, it adds to the like they aren't from this world kind of feeling. Right. They're 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 uh, magical, which this. Mm-hmm. Immediately establishes that this family is has magic powers. Yeah, you know, um, but it's it also seems further removed than that than just Kubo having like magic origami. You know what I mean? What do you mean by that? That that they are are like magic is almost just accepted in in this version of Japan, right? Like. Like Kubo is, he performs in the village, you know, doing magic openly. Well, I, I kind of just thought everyone like, like he has that because he's related to magical people. Right. But at the, at the time, you don't know that. You don't, you just know that he's like, well, you know, I guess you see his mom like split the wave at the very beginning. Right. Um, I, but it's, no one's like, oh my God, we got to like. Get this kid to the king, like that's what I'm saying. They all like, just kind of, yeah. It's just accepted that Kubo has like magic, but then when you you see the the his aunts, it's like, oh, that's an that's a huge reach. Like that's that's weird, even for this world. It's it's on another level. That, that's what I'm saying. Like it just seems like, and it's it's almost jarring when you see them. And I I just think they're great designs. Uh, Rooney Mara does the uh, the voice of them. Okay. And it's it's like a perfect like droning kind of uh I don't know if it's reminiscent of the shining twins. So a little like disinterested. A li- yeah, a little um sing-songy and kind of playful in a menacing way like like they're toying with Kubo almost. Yeah, they well they are. They think, right. "Oh, this kid's going to be no problem." But it's it's just such a a creepy vibe that they give off and and it super works for me what i love about that scene where they're introduced like and i noticed it right away is they're in a broken triangle position like the sisters were offset from each other they weren't side by side right one was at like the peak of the triangle and one was and the way the camera was positioned it's like you're looking at it face on there's a missing point to the triangle and oh, that would be... Uh, you can kind of feel that the mom is... the mother. Yeah, wow. She's left this hole in the group. Good eye. Uh, I didn't I didn't pick that up. That's great composition of, of a shot, but also like uh, kind of a subtle, like, we're missing our third. Yeah. Right. At, at first I was like, there should be three here, and then the mom. And then I was like, no, the mom's the third one that's missing. It's a really, it's a really great bit of world building, I think, that is done in this story organically. That there are magical people. This is a magical family. And we slowly sort of learn what the mom's role in all of it was and mm-hmm. how everything came to be. It, I, it kind of feels like a Greek myth to me. Like with a the, little bit. the family drama and the backstabbing and... Yeah, I don't a, know. A little bit. There's a there's there's elements of like um 
you know, Thanos's daughters in, uh, in the MCU, you yeah. know, being like, like one of them betrayed, you know, one of them left the fold and then the others having to go get them back. Um, there's elements of movies we've watched in this, uh, that we've watched for this show. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle, I noticed, like the, do you remember the, the musicians in Kung Fu Hustle who had the, like the Chinese stringed instrument oh, yeah. and they I, were, they were blasting out like weapons from it. I was wondering why you wrote that in the show, it's, Doc. Yeah, like uh, I didn't even put that together. The way, the way Kubo has his, um. You know, his, I don't know what that instrument is called. It's like a Japanese banjo or guitar, you know, but he's, you know, basically like leveling, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, forests and stuff with it. He's, he's really doing some damage on that. Or destroying waves. Yep. Uh, the way it cuts through. Uh, v for Vendetta, I, I pointed out already. And also Hidden Fortress that we watched on here where... Um, it is about protecting the last of the line in Hidden Fortress. Remember, they're, yeah, yeah. they're escorting the princess and, you know, then we find out, oh, she's the Hidden Fortress. Like, that's what this is. It's it's escorting the last of the line and figuring out, like, oh, he's kind of the, he's kind of the one who um, is super powerful and, and has... Yeah, the as the, the ability to to right all the wrongs yeah, in, in the family. The, the end of the bloodline, I I feel like that is a bit of a trope. Like I'm not saying that as a negative. Like it adds uh kind of stakes to it and it also explains why this character is like the chosen one. Yeah. Like it explains everything, the powers, the parents, why everyone's upset. I think it really works. It's all, and the chosen one thing is not, it's not like an absolute. It's not like there's some prophecy or anything. His mother's not trying to uh, give him the call to the hero's journey. His mother's trying to protect him at the the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like she's saying, you're the chosen one, Kubo. You have to learn this. She's, everything she does is in service of keeping him from having to go be the hero. Uh, you know, keeping him hidden and keeping him safe. She's she's trying to protect him from like her mistakes. From for, right from where she she comes from. Um, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about Coco? Coco, sure. Coco, the Pixar movie. Oh, uh, like relating spirits. And... Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a really strong parallel here. Um. I would say so. Uh, both of them are steeped in the culture of the character that they're that they're exploring. Yeah, uh, they're musical children, and they're musical children seeking a connection with their long lost father. Uh, <laughs> with dead relatives, they're, yeah. They're spirit seeking a spiritual connection to uh, this presence that they never have known. Um. I would say this is much darker, actually, than than Coco. I this movie is surprisingly dark. Like uh yeah. in the first scene, uh when his mom 
when Kubo's mom, she hits her head on a rock. Oh, it's brutal. And <laughs> like there's you... blood. I was like, <laughs> who allowed this? That I thought she died. I I thought we witnessed a character death, and no, I was stunned. You just saw her get a massive concussion that basically made her almost a vegetable for the rest of the movie until she becomes a monkey. But like, uh, it's a. Uh, it's very yeah. It's very dark. It's a. It's a. It's a really. I mean, everything, the the villainy in this movie, the witches, they're dark. The the grandfather, actually, like, that's a chilling scene when he, when he shows up as a ghost. Yeah. You know, and, and he seems like a knight. There, there's just a level of menace to this entire movie that it's just under the surface, even in, like, a lighter scene when they're fishing or something like that. It's always, like... Something is going to happen. Like there is, how is I, it going to go wrong? I don't feel like that is a, uh, that is an element of like Pixar movies where there are real stakes in Pixar movies, but I don't feel like there's a constant dark tone to those movies. Whereas something like this is a Leica movie, Coraline, Paranorman. Uh, box trolls all of that stuff has a super dark edge on it um which is maybe animation for a little bit older kids maybe some emo teenagers are the target audience of <laughs> no i'm serious like like some i i i feel like the, these are are pixar is sort of an all ages thing but you know i took you guys to see Coraline when you were small and i had people really look at me cross-eyed like you took your children to that movie it's like yes, like it's a children's. It movie. It is a children's movie, but your children also have to be able to handle some darker. It, subject it is matter. mature. It's yeah. not for every child, I would say. I think that's fair, and um, but I feel like Coraline is darker than this movie. Like this movie I is think so. dark, yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of a lot more kids could handle. Both this. of them are obsessed with eyes. Oh yeah, is Leica. Uh, do you think they have a, a thing for eyes the way like George Lucas has a thing about uh, cutting hands off and arms? <laughs> Maybe. Like <laughs> there's, a, there's a weird uh, there's a weird thing. I, I feel like this is 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 right in line with something like Coraline or it's probably the same level of dark that like Paranorman is. Um, I Paranorman never felt that dark to me. It's that's maybe it's been a while since I've seen it. It's like, been a while since I've seen it too, but I remember it being kind of like this in that it is a a comedic movie that just constantly has like an edge of darkness to it because it's a kid who can see dead dead people, you know, sees ghosts and right. and and there's a haunting that he knows is coming and it's just sort of like I feel like that's the edge on this one. There's so much fun stuff in the in this movie in Kubo there's there's uh great elements it's a great script but there's always like this this darkness right on the edge of it that I think is is just brilliantly blended in there it it goes hand in hand with like the stakes yeah yeah I think so it makes the stakes feel very real uh where regardless of what we said about the giant skeleton Maybe he's not a threat to their lives, but he is a legitimate obstacle to them finding what they need to find. Finding the armor. And if they don't find the armor, 
Right. Then Kubo's gonna die, basically. Well, well, they don't... Not die, but, like, he's gonna lose his eye. He's gonna lose his soul. He's going to... Right. He's going to lose to the Moon King in one way, shape, or form. Yes. Um, But let's talk about the armor. I mean, the whole... The whole premise of this movie is is basically nothing because it's not the armor that saves him. Yeah, the armor's kind of like just there. The armor's like the uh, MacGuffin of this movie, or the goober to use the uh, Spider-Man, uh, the Spider-Verse. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> the, the uh, um, it it is sort of like that allows him to discover what he does need. It's, it's a through line, but then they, like, abandon it at the end. Which isn't a bad thing, because, like, it's like, no, you didn't actually need this. Right. You just need to be true to yourself, a.k.a. use the guitar that you've had the whole time. It's the Wizard of Oz thing. You don't, you don't need the wizard. You have the shoes. You have, you know, you have the ability to go home the whole time. Dad, Kubo is barefoot in this movie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> did not have red shoes on <laughs> but uh he was already home at the end of the movie no but yeah um which i think is a, i think it is i think it's a good element because he needed something to go on the journey the journey is what taught him it's the family road trip it is it's <laughs> it's it's national lampoon's vacation with uh with more uh more japanese folklore in it and death a lot more death. Oh, there's some death in uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. I don't remember, but oh. okay. okay. I'll take your word for it. Uh, you have some, you have a note in here I wanted to talk about, uh, which we should have hit a minute ago when we were talking about who is this movie for. Genuine comedy versus kids comedy. What oh, did way you mean to, by that? Way to introduce my topic for me. So I wanted to talk about uh, genuine comedy versus kids comedy. Oh, really? Yeah, I know. (laughs) I was not prepared for this. Uh, But yes, I feel like this movie is actually hilarious. Like when it's funny, it's really funny. And something about it, like kids movies always have jokes thrown in there to lighten the mood and to keep kids entertained. Or, Or subtle like adult humor for the parents. Like, oh, we know parents will have to go to this movie and we'll throw a couple of wink jokes in on them. Right, but that's all it is. Right. And with this movie, I feel like it's kid-friendly comedy, but it's, like, actually funny. It's like you would find this in, like, a sitcom made for adults. Sure. If that makes sense. I I don't know how to verbalize it. Uh, a lot of it is kind of slapstick or like situational, like you said. It's situa- a lot of it's situational. When they're fighting yeah. the skeleton, uh, and it should be serious, but then they just throw in these dumb jokes. Right. Uh, but then there's even like, uh, there's something, what's it called? The Unbreakable Sword. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> the sword Beetle, unbreakable. Yeah. Beetle wakes up and he's like, so- I've been sleeping on something and he pulls it out and he's like more like sword uncomfortable. Sword uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, or when the, the, they think they have the sword unbreakable and it breaks and uh, he's like, so did they just mean like the handle or, <laughs> you know, like there's, yeah, there's a lot of jokes in here that fit what's going on in the movie. They're really well-written jokes because they're, 
you know, in context. Uh, and they're not pandering. They're not like pandering to kids. They're not pandering to anyone watching it. They don't seem dumbed down. It's it's not like Marvel humor. Uh, right. Like yeah, I feel like Marvel humor is like the same as Disney cartoon humor it's, where it's just like kind of thrown in there it's a to little take the edge off. aren't we clever kind of kind of um, right refer a lot of references and things like that <laughs> um not like family guy style but just sort of like there's a lot of winky stuff in there like uh, if you watch like the first avengers movie there's a lot of joss whedon humor in there and joss whedon is Kind of contextually funny, but only if you know the world he's playing in. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's It's not funny, funny joke. Like, they're not actual funny joke. Like, Buffy... I mean, all, all of it is, is like Iron Man just calling people references to other movies. Yes. Exactly. You know, hey, point break, you know, this kind of thing. And it's just like, yeah, okay. Like, I, I get it. It's like Buffy was always like clever... But it only worked in the context of this universe with people who knew it. You couldn't come in cold and get it. And that, that's just sort of like, it's its so specific to that tone of this and that. And I feel like that's, that's a lot of the MCU humor. It's like, it's fine if you're there, if you've been along for the ride, you know. But outside of that, you're going to miss it. And the, you're right. This is a genuinely funnier script uh with with actual comedic moments built into the action movie part of it 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 feels not forced it's almost like they were just writing the script and someone made a joke and they were like we'll add that in there i <laughs> i don't know and it's true to the characters too uh like beetle is kind of dumb right and they build on that and uh what is it monkey is like sarcastic kind of very very serious and a lot of that humor of hers comes out of her being overly serious yeah she's like the straight man in a comedy yeah exactly exactly um and she's great i i really like her um her character as being like the you you really buy that even before you know that it's the mother you buy that she is like hardcore serious about protecting her son. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it was like this thing of like, that's her her mission. Like, she was brought to life with this magic right. of like, I'm going to protect Kubo. So that's the only thing she cares about. Like the 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 little monkey charm was like the totem to, to protect him. Right. And that that was that was it. That's that's the sole purpose of of this monkey. Mm hmm. And she's introduced as, like, very, like, down to business. Right. But then, like, you see in the moments, uh, like, when she's scratching Beetle's back, he's like, are you being nice to me? And she, like, goes, <laughs> shh, don't tell anyone. Right. <laughs> you, do, you do get the sense of, I mean, what this movie is about, humanity. You get the sense that, yes, she seems like she is just single, singularly focused on this mission. But realistically, there's more to her than that. And slowly that, I, I, I love that this movie slowly reveals everything about who Beetle is, who Monkey is, who Kubo is, and and all of, of the family dynamics that go along with that. 
it's it's not all dropped in a single exposition dump. It slowly comes to surface over time. Right. And I will say it was very predictable. Like I sure. I knew immediately who Beetle was. Monkey There's like five characters in this yeah. movie. <laughs> Monkey threw me off guard for like a second, but then when she was flirting with Beetle, I was like, oh, I get it. Right. I was like, I I see this. I remember the Beetle uh, reveal, but not the monkey one. But Interesting. It all made sense. Yeah. Um, I I like the monkey reveal is great when, when the, right before she kills the first sister, uh, you know, she says, oh yeah, uh. Hanzo made my sister weak, and she says, "No, it made me stronger." Like that's the reveal. Like she says, "Me, it, yeah. right?" It's like, "Oh, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant way to drop that." And then they just cut away immediately to to Kubo and Beetle. Um, it's a it's a really, I think this is a really smart script. It is. Um, uh, which I'm actually when we were, um, looking at the credits, it kind of shocked me because. There was something that said, uh, story by, right. It was this whole section and it was like 10 to 12 people. And I was like, like, you know how, like when a script is written by like multiple people, it's like the more people, it's like the more iffy. Sure. But this was just story. So like that confused. Right. There's actually only two credited screenwriters. Right, so, so they were probably on the creative team. Story contributors or producers who also got story credit. A lot of times, like, um, I heard a, a, it'll be in my shout out, but I heard a, a podcast about uh, a married couple who made a movie. They made a movie called Animal Crackers. And just, they went on the fundraising thing and everybody who put them in touch with somebody they could get money from the person who just put them in touch got like a producer's credit. So, you know what I mean? Oh, like, wow. like credits become certain credits become negotiated. So like anyone who contributed any amount of story to this or said, Hey, what if you make him a beetle? Hey, what if you put the beetle thing on the back of his robe? Like they could have gotten a story credit or contributed anything at all. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, th- there's all, there are two, uh, Two screenwriters credited, and I think they did a, a great job of putting this together. That is Mark Hames and Chris Butler. Uh, and uh, let's see. Yeah, Chris Chris Butler wrote Paranorman. Uh, he wrote a movie called Missing Link. He was in the art department of Coraline. Um, so he's been with Leica Studios He's been with for Leica a for a bit, yeah. Uh, st- he was a storyboard artist for Corpse Bride. We have him to thank for a lot of stuff. Then. Uh, let's see. He's on the crew of Box Trolls. Yeah, like real big in like the stop motion animation world. And then um, let's see. Mark Hames, Kubo, he's producer of Men in Black 2. He's on the crew of Transformers. Uh, let's see his, his writing credits. Uh, paranormal activity he was he worked on oh he's worked on all kinds of stuff that's that's a lot um, more less just animation but yeah that's interesting. yeah he's got he's got a lot of of uh varied stuff in there and then travis knight who directed this um let's see 
Missing Link. He's a producer on that. Uh, he produced Box Trolls. He produced Paranorman. Um, let's see, Bumblebee. He worked on Bumblebee. He was a lead animator on Box Trolls and Paranorman. Cool. Uh, lead animator on Coraline. Uh, something called Moon Girl. Uh, he was an animator on the Eddie Murphy uh, Claymation TV series called The PJs back in the late 90s. A um, lot of animation work in this, and you can tell, like, they know, you know, if somebody's a storyboard artist, I think there's a natural sense of storytelling that goes with that. So yeah, the idea that these people were able to collaborate on this movie and put together something so smart that moves so well and has a pretty complex story. I mean, the plot is pretty simple, but this is kind of a complex story. There's a lot of of pieces in play. Yeah. And also like, I feel like it was complex to make, like this is a mixing of mediums. Yeah. Uh, It's like part claymation, but a lot of it is animation. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, cgi elements and it blends really well it doesn't it, it doesn't look like the styles are clashing yeah it's all uh it all blends for sure um i don't know i i don't know what else i can say about this movie um, i can i say one more thing yeah go ahead uh one you can say as many things as you want to, Austin. Well, I'm going to say one, okay? Oh, all right. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, I Part of the moral or, like, the message or one of the themes in this movie uh, that really is one of my favorites to see in a story is stories about stories, which yeah. sounds like Inception. But, like, really, it's just, like, talking about how we paint human lives as a story like and when it ends uh there's a brilliant line that the monkey says um the mom monkey she says uh that her story will end soon but that it's like origami it just gets blended and folded into something new something else and that a whole new story starts and it's it's just such a wonderful way to look at life uh, that we all tell stories and that stories can end and you can start a new story. You can you can have a new... You don't have to die. You can have a new beginning today if you wanted to. You can right. just close that chapter and be like, I'm a new person. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to have a rebirth. Like Exactly. Uh, we, we've talked about that on here before about... Uh, I don't remember what movie we were talking about. Um. But just discussing things like like rebirths, like starting over, like the fact that people have multiple chapters of their life. And that this this I think definitely enforces that. You see them we see the mom uh starting the very beginning of this movie is the mother starting over. Yeah. Um and then you see her start a new chapter of her life as the monkey. And then in that, like what you're saying, you know, she, uh, she, she talks about the, the origami metaphor and also tell, just telling Kubo, you know, one, the end of one story is the beginning of another. And when the parents pass, then it is Kubo's story. It is his fight 
at that point. Yeah. Uh, so it, it really is like a, a, a brilliant way to not only keep the story moving along, keep the script moving along, but actually incorporate that, that tool into what this, what this whole movie is about. I mean, Kubo is a storyteller in itself and he's telling the story. It's really cool. Uh, Can I share a quote that I feel like speaks to that, actually? Yes. Uh, It is from Doctor Who. Oh, no. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That changes things. Um, Wait, which one? Because this will determine how much hate mail we get on the show. It's Peter Capaldi. Oh, man. Here we go. Uh, No. At least it's not Jodie Whittaker. I I know. I don't need that kind of hate. I said the doctor, not the nurse. Not the nurse. (laughs) Please know that's a joke. She's one of my favorites. Uh... No, but the doctor says, everything ends and it's always sad, but everything begins again too, and that's always happy. So be happy. That's, um, I mean, that's the whole thesis statement of the doctor, right? He's always restarting. Right. He's, He's al- or they're always restarting. They're always reinventing themselves. Not really. Just the surface level stuff, but you get it. Yeah. It's always about rebirth and new chapters and, uh, oh, what's my what's my look gonna be this time? What's my TARDIS gonna look like? It's right. I'm I'm changing my look or my TARDIS right. or my friends. My right. friends move on with their life, so I get new friends. I get new friends, and and uh, yeah, it's it's all of those things. It's uh, uh, it's the the it's Winnie the Pooh, you know, like. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, Pooh ends when Christopher Robin moves on, and you know, then it's the the famous quote that goes around. You know, how lucky am I to have something that I'll miss? Or I, I, I don't remember. I, I know. Yeah, the I, quote. It, it, it doesn't, we know the quote. <laughs> it doesn't sound as good when I when I fuck it up, but uh, yeah, like it's um, it's all of those things. It's it's you have to shed something you love to go get something else that you love. It's it's um. It, not, tr- not there's tragedy and there's hope and possibility. Right, it's, it's all here. It's a great like kind of outlook on loss. It's a great lesson about life because that's what yes. life is uh, in, in a lot of ways is leaving things behind and getting new things. That's true. Very true. See this movie. I, uh, yeah, I I have nothing else to I'm, add. I'm a big fan of of the work that that Leica Studios has done in the last what 15, 20 years. I they're pretty new. They're in terms fairly of new and and still a pretty small studio. I feel like this is actually one of the best movies they put out, and I feel like it's the least seen. I don't know that I've ever talked to somebody who's seen this movie and didn't really really like it but i still feel like there's a ton of people i feel nobody talk not that i won't say nobody not that many people talk about this movie like this is not a movie that is in conversation in the way pixar movies are and and even something like Coraline or paranorman that's a little more seen i i think it just came out at like a bad time 2016 had a lot of like (laughs) more popular movies and just life stuff in general going on kind of a weird year yeah um but yeah that that very well could be 
Because um, I know that's why I didn't see it. Like, I, it was on my radar. I saw the trailers. I was like, yes, I'm in. And then it just went out of theaters, and I, I didn't see it in time. It really kind of flew under the radar, and um, and I feel like it, it shouldn't have. This is, it took me a little while to catch up to it as well. Uh, but I was the same way. I'm like, oh, this is Japanese folklore. It's about music. It's about monsters. I'm like, this is like a movie made for me. But like, it's, it, I think this is still a really underseen movie. I don't think it's streaming anywhere. Uh, but I think it's worth going a little out of your way and, and renting it or buying it or seeking it out in some way. Or when it shows up on a streaming service to to check it out because I think it's I I really I don't know that I there's almost anyone that I wouldn't recommend this movie to I, little little kids I'd say know your kids know what, how dark they can handle but uh, right uh you know people always talk about like the Disney Renaissance and like the golden age of Pixar and I feel like Leica Studios. Like, their whole history so far, they are in that. They have not left that yet. Sure. Uh, and so, now I'm just excited for what comes next. Like, I feel like, not yeah. not just, like, moving on from this movie, but, like, I, I want to see more from them. Well, it's like, Leica is a movie studio that, um, that I'm just sort of like, oh, Leica's putting a movie out. Cool. I'm going to see it. You know what I mean? Like almost everything they, they haven't done anything bad. They've done things that aren't necessarily as good. I would say box trolls. Box trolls. Is like... I only say that because I don't remember it. And, and it's just sort of like, I feel like if it was probably a little bit better, I'd probably remember more about it. I remember very little about that movie. It just sort of happened. But I love Paranorman. I love Coraline. And I love Kubo. And it, it's just sort of like, if Leica, Leica, if you make a movie, you will get my money in some way, shape, or form. Did they do uh, Frankenweenie? No, that's a Disney thing. Okay. Um, because that was a, a Tim Burton short, like a live action short film when he was like, he used to work for Disney, like very early in his career. And now he circled back around. To work on the big budget end of Disney. And that's when he made Frankenweenie into like... Like his student film into like a full-fledged... That's exactly what happened. Like, then they're like, oh, Tim Burton, you're a name now. Well, remake Frankenweenie for us. Here's a shitload of money. Okay. And, um... I, I wasn't sure, but yeah. Yeah, it's, uh... But I, I do think they're one, they're one of the last studios that's doing... Uh, stop motion and um, I they take their time on it too because I this is their la latest movie right I believe so and yeah there's, there's big spaces between their output which is not a bad thing no I think I think that's um quality over quantity oh missing link they did do missing link as well which I have not seen oh is that about uh I think I saw like the trailer for that that's about like cavemen right something like that yeah um chris butler chris butler uh directed that written and directed by chris butler once again uh hugh jackman zoe saldana uh david williams stephen fry matt lucas Tilly, timothy oliphant 
uh, Emma Thompson, Zach Galifianakis. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to sit down with this. That was like right before the pand- pandemic, right? Because um, I remember seeing a trailer in theaters. 2019, it looks like. Okay. Uh, so a year before the pandemic. Yeah, I have no. This is what I'm talking about, though. Leica Studios, it just flies under the radar. This isn't, they don't, I, I don't know if they don't have the marketing budget that, you know, that Pixar does, and they just get buried by, by Disney in the, in, in the, the zeitgeist conversation. Right. But, you know, this is a I mean, studio. and they have big names. Yeah. That's crazy yeah, to me. it really I... is. Um, but yeah, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to. I, I wouldn't that, call I them unsuccessful, too. Like, I, I think they make more than enough profit off of their movies. I, I just think sometimes things aren't, like, as popular in, like, the... You said... The zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. Yeah. Like, the general conversation. Yeah, 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 that's, I, yeah, I didn't look at, like, box office versus budget numbers. But they're they're an independent animation studio. Animation is super costly. Um, uh, They would have to do good to keep going uh and they've been going but uh you know it's just a question of of margins and things like that but i think it's one of those things also where it's sort of like i bet they get good names because they do good work and you know somebody like hugh jackman may look at that and just go i want to work with with them because you know i want to do a cool indie movie i want to do a cool indie project or whatever and it just is uh it, it's it's interesting how independent animation works and um and i i really hope they keep going it's kind of like uh ardman who did uh wallace and gromit they did all the um uh what is those uh the, the sheep movie uh, uh sean the sheep and yeah. um they did a bunch of uh i don't remember what they're called it was like a tv show with like talking animals uh it's like audio that they would take and then they would make these claymation animals say it. Oh, I, um, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I'll have to look it up. But uh, all that stuff, the Nick Park, uh, Ardman Studios thing, really successful, but never like really broke through the mainstream. Shaun the Sheep, I think, probably did the best over here because that was like more of a kid's movie. I think it got, it was like, was it a TV show or a, a Disney Channel or yeah, something? Yeah, it, it was kind of like Minions, like these cute little... Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, what are they getting up to now? Right. But you have stuff like the Wallace and Gromit stuff, which I think is well regarded everywhere. I think it's bigger in the UK. Um, Wallace and Gromit is great. But, right. But it never, like, as far as, like, competing with the juggernaut that is, like, Disney. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I it mean, just doesn't break through in the same way. I, I feel like if I was just having a conversation with one of my friends and I brought up Wallace and Gromit, I would instantly start explaining what it is. Like, I don't think everyone knows it. Yeah, it, it's kind of, it's a little more niche. Or um, there's a movie from, uh, like, maybe 10 years ago called The Secret of Kells, uh, which is this European thing about the, um, uh, uh, like, a monastery in Ireland. It's it's this really beautiful animated movie. I remember I only heard about it because it was nominated for an Oscar. It didn't stand a freaking chance because <laughs> it was up against whatever Pixar movie was out that year. Sure. But there's some there's just some great like independent European animation studios that do stuff. Uh um 
uh, Ghibli, Studio Ghibli. I mean, right? Uh, I think they've got There's a, a lot of stuff th- out there. That's more accessible now because Disney distributes it in in but but all but at its heart that is an independent animation studio or a a an overseas animation studio it's probably much bigger in japan but like these things are out there and and things like Leica, i think it's important to support them and i think it's important to i think we're doing the lord's work just by you know uh, talking about it here. That's right. I'm gonna pat myself on the back. That's right. And <laughs> way to go, way to go, Austin. <laughs> I expect a check in the mail, like uh, I I would just like to be cast in uh, one of your movies. Can me and Austin come do voices? Oh my gosh, yeah, but you have to animate us as us. Oh please, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'll I'll submit some uh, some concept art. I'll I'll, uh, I'll have my agent send some stuff by. God, how great would that be? Oh my god. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's what we got on this. Kubo and the Two Strings. Cannot recommend this enough. Yes. Also, real quick, I loved the the hair uh, tying into that being the Two Strings. Yes. I See, I didn't even... I just thought Two Strings because the guitar, and then it was about his parents. Chekhov's guitar strings. Uh, you, and, and it was his parents, and then his hair was the third Right, the third I, string. It was the the family unit, the army of three. That, that's right, uh, Kubo and the two and the two strings. parents. That's right. It was. It was brilliant. It was nice. Very good. Uh, let's move on to shoutouts. Um, outside of shouting out this movie, what do you got? All right, uh, I am uplifting a indie podcast called The Nuclear Solution. Uh, it is ended. Uh, and I believe the creator, um, it's a small creator. They've moved on to other things, uh, and are still creating, but I just found this and it like caught my interest when I listened to the first episode. Uh, it's by Dallas Wheatley and, uh, it's essentially, uh, so the apocalypse has happened and this is simply a broadcasted radio uh, transmission, kind of like, uh, what's it called? Depression era. Like, here's how you, uh, live civilized okay. in this hard time. Like, here's how you bleach your clothes using, uh, whatever makeshift material. And right. then you use what's left of, like, dyeing your clothes with beets. Then you can take those beets and you can make this stew out of them. And it's just, like, weird, like, tips like that. But then there's a world built around it about how, like, there's a corporation. Like, there's still people trying to get power. And they're using this uh, this radio station to kind of, like, brainwash people into, like, you need us to be civilized. Okay. And we're rebuilding society. I don't know. Uh, but it's really cool. And right. I'm I'm still in the early episodes, and I think the story is going to develop further. So I don't know the full summary, but interesting. Yeah. What uh, do you have? Cool. I have a podcast called Surviving Creativity, and um, this is a show where uh, Corey Cassoni, Brad Geiger, and Scott Kurtz have usually come on there and talked about different creative issues and. Things like that. 
They went on hiatus for, I don't know, like a year and a half or two years and have recently come back. And largely what it is now is Scott Kurtz interviewing uh, people. If you don't know Scott Kurtz, he does the comic strip uh, PVP. Um, he's done that for like 20 years. Uh, really big in the web comics community. But I want to point out uh, specifically, he did a two-part uh, interview with Donna and Scott Saba, who uh, Scott Saba is a, um, <clears throat> he's a cartoonist. And at a certain point, they decided that they were going to make an animated movie. Um, they wrote it, they funded it themselves, they raised all the money uh, and set out to uh, produce this movie. I think 2013, 2014 is when the production started. Uh, they got people like Sylvester Stallone, Danny DeVito, John Krasinski, and Emily Blunt. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, these really big names to be in this movie. It's called Animal Crackers. I believe it's on Netflix. I Did this come out recently? Uh, it's come out in the last couple of years. This podcast came out recently, yes. Where, uh, it, this is them telling their story. And it is a really interesting look at independent filmmaking, uh, animation, pardon the rainstorm, and what it takes to not only make a movie, but to sell a movie. These They were brand new. They'd never worked in Hollywood before. They'd never done any of this stuff. They got taken advantage of. They got caught up in lawsuits. They got all of these. It's a wild, wild story. It's super interesting. I think if you are interested in any of like the machinations of how the movie business works, it's super interesting because they, they start bringing up things that they'd never thought of. I would never think of. You don't know that things are problems until you're knee deep in them. It sounds, it's stressful and uh, uh, terrifying and it's super interesting and it's a great interview. That's insane. But it sounds like a great like underdog story, like yeah, breaking into Hollywood almost. And they really, like the, the thing I've always liked about surviving creativity is a lot of their mission statement is like, your failures are not necessarily just you failed at something. They're, your, they're potential learning experiences. Like you learn from your failures. And that's a lot of what this couple walked away from is saying like, we didn't know these things, but we know them now. So next time we know how to avoid this. We know what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, that's almost better than film school is to just make a film and see what I, I remember, uh, sorry to make this about me. No, uh, no, I, 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 when I was a senior in high school, I entered this short film contest Yep, I remember. and it, it was, uh, the idea was you make it in three days and I failed horribly. Like we didn't even submit anything, uh, because I, there was a problem with the the cartridge and the camera mm -hmm. and uh like the shots were bad and like i did not know how to manage the actors it was this whole thing you had too many collaborators you had too many people i, re I remember yeah it, it was it uh, was a nightmare yeah. but i learned so much from it like i walked away thinking wow i wish i had never done that but like 
I think I have a better grasp of what filmmaking takes sure. and would be better at a second chance or a second try if I did that now. Yeah. Um, I heard uh, years ago an uh, interview with Quentin Tarantino to take it back to last week um, where he talked about he didn't go to film school. He made a movie and he invested like 10 grand in making this movie. He never finished it. But he's like, I spent 10 grand and got an education in how to make a movie. He's <laughs> like, that's a fraction of what you would spend going to film school. He's like, I learned more by actually doing something and failing at it and spent a fraction of the money to than I, than I would have gotten out of any film school. And it, it just was a really interesting perspective, which at the time I hadn't considered because I was failing at art left and right and thinking, oh, okay. There's a there's a spin on this, you know, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. And um, there's always a plus side. Yeah. It, it it's it's a great perspective to have. Um, if you followed Scott Kurtz for a long time, I don't mean this is a terrible dig. He has not always been the most positive person. But I think at some point his outlook shifted getting a little getting more mature uh, helps that usually. Right. Um, and and. Surviving Creativity is a really interesting show in that that's the perspective that it it tends to take. And again, this uh, I'm long winded in my recommendation here again. Uh, but uh, yeah, I really recommend checking this interview out. It's it's fantastic. I, we always get sidetracked. Yeah, but it's what know. we do. <laughs> it's on brand. That's right. We're a brand. Like Leica Studios, who will be casting us in their upcoming movie. Stay tuned. Critics. Nah. I uh, we'll let them name it. Yeah. But we will be starring. We will be it will be <laughs> starring. <laughs> oh, I've upgraded us. Yes. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps our visibility. And it helps us grow the show. That's right. Another way to help us grow is to tell a friend. Uh, we love storytelling on this podcast. So gather a large group in a sort of town square, wherever you can. If if it helps, we can send you templates of origami versions Ooh, of ourselves. Uh, yes. Uh, and tell the story of the picture show and recommend us. What a great way to do it. Yeah. What's in store next week? Though? Next week, uh, we're just wrapping up. This was our last movie of season two. We have uh, hit our 20, 20 episodes. And next week, we are going to be reviewing, um, just looking back at the, the our Re last 20 movies and reviewing our reviews. Talking about, you know, what did we, what did we like? What did we not like? What do we want to revisit? What do we want to never watch again? Um, I, it's, I, I love that we do that. Like, it, it especially gives us time to breathe. And, like, sometimes my opinions change after an episode. Like, yeah. after I've watched it a few times. And and it's also good to look back on what we watch. Because I forget until I go look at our episode list. Like, what have we watched this season? And then you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, Hidden Fortress. Oh, yeah, 12 Angry Men. Oh, yeah, Astronaut Farmer. You know, like these... They're not always the best. They're not, but, but yeah. you know, I forget that we watch them. And, you know, I spend a lot of time 
with the artwork and everything and in still, you know, soul seems so long ago, but that oh my was, God, we did soul. We, yeah. kicked, we kicked this season off with that. So yeah, we're going to be looking back at our last 20 movies and, um, and then we're going to close it out and go on hiatus for a little bit. That's right. Going on See vacation. you later suckers. <laughs> All right. Austin, what do you got for social media? Uh, Oh, come on. Come on. I am Austin and Rude and uh, the Old Who Review on Twitter. You got it. That is me. What are you? I am philrude.com, and you can get my social media links from there. You can check out all of our episodes there. You can watch videos uh, from the show, and you can buy art. Very reasonably priced art. Whatever you see as the episode art um, that I, I post online. Uh, you can buy that. You can buy the original. Um, yeah, that brings us to uh, the same place we end up every week. Austin, you want to read the credits? Yep, we did everything ourselves. Well, there you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. The following is paid for by the Coalition for a Better Hollywood. For decades, Big Movie has had Hollywood studios in their back pocket. They spend millions to get you to spend billions on movies that are nothing more than sequels, reboots, remakes, reimaginings, Oscar cliché and January releases. Big Movie lobbyists have all but ensured original film ideas are ignored, forgotten, or maybe not even real. Are they feature films? Are they quality flicks? Are they real motion pictures? Your soon-to-be, if not already favorite movie podcast stands with the little movies. Help put an end to big movies cinematic censorship and listen to the pop-up film cast every Tuesday wherever honest hard-working podcasts can be found. We are the pop-up film cast, a proud member of the Podfix network, and we support this message.